Amen. Before you sit down, we're going to show you a short video to lead us into the sermon time this morning. Wait, I don't want to hear it. I mean it, Delilah. This whole trip is ridiculous, and you know it. Oh, how's that again? How's 90 miles with my pregnant wife for one? And you're not the smoothest ride ever. No offense. What if she starts contracting on the way? Yes. In fact, I am throwing myself a pity party, and you're invited, so stop complaining about it. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I don't blame you. I blame Caesar and this whole head counting nonsense. Truth is, and I'm only telling you this, under ordinary circumstances, I would love to make the trip back to Bethlehem. I don't see my family again, my, my uncles, my cousins, of course, Aunt Yael. But now, <laughs> am I supposed to explain all this? Mary, Mary needed an angel to explain it to her. I needed a divine dream to get it. What am I supposed to do when I get to Bethlehem, huh? Break the ice over some matzah? What is my family gonna say when they see Mary and I together and she looks doesn't matter. We have to make the trip to Bethlehem because I, way, way back, am related to a king. What do you mean I don't look like I have royal blood? It's true. I'm related to a king. And she is about to give birth to a king. And You said marry her, so I did. You said name him Jesus, so I will. You said, you said he would be the son of God. Your son, you are too good to us, Lord. What was impossible to believe still seems so impossible. So girl, you will be carrying Mary, and Mary will be carrying the Son of God, and I will be carrying a lot, a lot to process. This little pity party thing stays between us, okay? Come thou Lord expected Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find our rest in thee all right please be seated <laughs>
So now because of this video, we know a few things we didn't know before about Joseph, right? Um, apparently his donkey had a name, Delilah, who knew? And uh, Joseph was kind of a donkey whisperer, you know? He seems to be able to have this conversation with the donkey. Well, obviously the skit guys took a little liberty there with Joseph's story, a little poetic license, but they do help us to stop and to think about the journey to Bethlehem. I mean, what must it have been like leading up to this first Christmas journey? Uh, you know, movies and skits, they make Joseph out to be entirely passive in the story, right? Uh, okay, Lord, I'll go. And then he tootles off to Jerusalem or to uh, Bethlehem. But he was human like us. He was a real person. He's not some, you know, comic book character or a character in the movies. He would have had some very real things to wrestle through, some very real things to think about. Well, today we are going to be looking at Joseph's story. We're in a series called Songs of the Savior, and uh, we're following this theme all through the Advent season. So I want to start off by looking at him on this first trip home and why it came about. And we're looking at Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 through 5. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Well, that's the beginning of the Christmas story that we all love to hear, right? You know, I can hear Linus and Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, reciting most of the same lines. You can, you can hear these words and you can almost see Joseph walking along beside this donkey, Mary perched atop, very pregnant and on their way to Bethlehem. You know, it's very cinematic. It's very romantic. And well, everybody seems so happy to be serving the Lord in the story. But uh, what about the leading up time? What was it like getting ready for this journey? I mean, there had to be more questions than there were answers here. Joseph has to be concerned about how things are going to go and what people are going to think. Unlike uh, most of the other people in this part of Jesus' birth narrative, uh, Joseph doesn't have physical evidence to back up what he's being called to do. I mean, think about it. Here we have Zechariah. He can't speak. So he knew for sure that God was up to something in his life. Here's Mary, pregnant and still a virgin. She couldn't deny that God was at work, that something really special was going on. The shepherds, pretty soon they're going to have a whole gaggle of angels show up and they're going to be right there in front of them and they're all going to see it together. It's going to be something really special. And by the time the Magi arrive, when they get there, a divine star is literally moving in the sky to guide them to the right place. But, you know, Joseph, he had a dream. Do you dream? I dream. And sometimes I wonder if my dreams have significance. And sometimes I think it's just, you know, 
something really odd that I ate the night before as a snack before bedtime, you know? And here's Joseph, and he has to trust that what he was told during his sleep was actually something from God, and not because he had some bad pizza last night. Without physical experience or evidence, Joseph chooses to believe. That's almost the definition of faith, isn't it? If you go to Hebrews 11. It's amazing that this very quiet man who we don't know very much about at all, he may have been one of the most faith-filled people in the Christmas story. He chose to obey God, and he did so in a number of ways, and he set us an example to follow. There are three things that that Joseph shows us about obedience, and I want to look at those this morning. The first is that Joseph showed how to obey God in difficult times. There we are. Obeying God is challenging for a lot of reasons, right? First on my list is independence. (laughs) We want to do what we want to do. Obeying God gets even more difficult, and the challenge gets more intensified when you throw in difficulties. Here's a difficulty. Your fiancé, whom you've never slept with, is pregnant. Here's a difficulty. She's telling you that the father of the child is God, and the child is the son of God. But Joseph has a plan. Avoid the difficult times and do it as quietly as possible. So here's how Matthew tells the story here. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But they came together, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, in these days, uh, betrothal was a very serious business. It was, you know, very similar to what we have as a marriage ceremony today. There would have been a serious marriage-type ceremony done for betrothal. And, And it would be almost as if, almost as good as if they were married, but not quite there yet. But it was a legal commitment. And it was a social commitment. It's very, very important. So Joseph has a plan. It's a benevolent plan. It's a kind plan. You know, he finds out she's pregnant and saying, well, it's not mine. And he's going to step away really quietly. He's going to put his little plan into place and doesn't want to expose Mary to public humiliation. He's not really running away. He's actually taking on responsibility. He's planning to do some righteous thing here. But there's only one problem with his plan. It's not God's plan. It's not what God has in mind. God tells him a new plan. And in Matthew 1, 20 to 25, this is what it says. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from all their sins. 
And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So during the most difficult part of Joseph's life, God called him to be obedient, to make sure that God's word was actually fulfilled. And who would have blamed him if he would have followed his own original plan? I mean, the truth is nobody but Joseph saw the dream. Nobody but Joseph experienced it. They may not, unless he told somebody about it, they wouldn't even know it happened. So who would have blamed Joseph if he decided to do something else? You know, integrity involves being consistent even when nobody's watching. Obedience is just like that. Obedience is not about who's watching. It's not about who knows what. Obedience is about trusting God's plan, even when it seems impossible, and even when it doesn't seem to make much sense. Joseph is obedient because he's a righteous man who trusts that God's plan is the best plan. Sometimes, and you know this very well, sometimes life presents unexpected challenges. And our first instinct might be to resist or to question God. Joseph's example here encourages us to trust that God's plans are greater than our understanding. You know, last week or the week before, we, we talked about this verse here from Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Obedience is tough when life is good let alone when life gets difficult. That baby that Mary was carrying, he grew up. And he said these words, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, difficult times are going to come in this world. That's part of the life that we're living but he, Jesus, has overcome the world. And that's a great promise because God is not just asking us to hop on a donkey and take a pregnant wife to a journey to Bethlehem. He's asking us to trust that no matter what, no matter how difficult things get, he has overcome the world. And he's got this. He's got you. Not only that, but this baby would be the Prince of Peace, the one who would calm the storms in our life, the one who would see us through difficulties. The truth of the matter is that we can experience peace when we obey God, even in the midst of difficulties in life. In fact, sometimes the pathway to peace is through and not around, right? The second thing that Joseph showed us was how to obey God in distant places. Joseph is going to have three dreams, three dream visits 
in his life here that we know about. Three visits from an angel. The first comes when he's instructed to take Mary as his wife, even though she's pregnant. The second one comes after the Magi make their visit to come and see the Christ child. And that's something that we know happens pretty late in the story. In fact, uh, we've, you know, our Christmas story, uh, we kind of bunch those things together. We compress them so that, you know, the wise men seem to arrive at the same night as Jesus' birth. That really isn't so. They arrived quite a bit later. They were traveling over a distance, and it says by then they were living in a house. So things had changed by then. But after the Magi actually visit, Matthew tells us, when they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. Well, <laughs> Joseph, he could have had no idea that when he took Mary to be his wife that his life was never, ever going to be the same. I mean, I'm sure he had some clues. Surely at some point, I'm positive that he would have just thought about, man, I would just like to go home. <laughs> I'm a carpenter. I would just like to get back to my shop and build stuff. You know, I just want to go home. I'm sure he felt that way. But it wasn't safe at home. King Herod was killing baby boys in an attempt to destroy the coming Messiah, to keep that from happening. So the angel in Joseph's second dream says, take the family to Egypt. Well, Egypt is not exactly a safe place, but it is a safer place than where they were going to be. This is a foreign land, and Joseph and Mary and Jesus are refugees. They are strangers in a strange land. You can think of them as people seeking asylum from a tyrannical ruler. They're far away from family and friends, and they have each other, and they have God, but that's pretty much it, isn't it? And they're going to stay in Egypt for about two or three years. That's quite a long time. Now, have you ever been there? I'm not talking about Egypt. <laughs> I'm talking about a distant place. Have you ever been in a distant place? Have you ever been in a place... You know, it might be physically distant from anyone you love. You're away from home. You're away sometimes at college or in, away for work or some other reason. Or you could be emotionally or socially distant. Um, those times when you're experiencing something and, and it feels like you're the only person who's going through that. It feels like the people around you just couldn't possibly understand what it is that you're going through. The people around you feel distant. Feeling far away can be pretty difficult. You don't have to leave home to feel like you're in a distant place, do you? The really difficult challenge of distant places is when you feel distant from God. Because of our choices sometimes, we feel distant from God. Because of the circumstances we're in, it feels like God isn't there sometimes. It just seems like he's not there, like he's far away. But Christmas is all about God coming to be with us. 
Sometimes we feel distant from him. But the truth is we are never really distant from God. It's just a feeling we have sometimes. God is always present. And it doesn't matter where you go on this planet. He's always right there. You know, I think of the old Yogi Berra saying, wherever you go, there you are. Well, wherever you go, that's where God is. God is always right there. The baby Jesus would grow up to say this to his followers. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the Great Commission, he said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Remember what the angel said to Joseph right at the very beginning of this story? He said, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas is the story of God coming to be with us. Now, we may feel distant from him, but we're not. We're not. He showed up and he said, I'm going to be with you right to the very end. You know, during the holiday season, if you feel distant from your family or distant from your friends, you can hold on to the promise that our Savior made to us, and that is that he will always be just a prayer away, even when we feel that distance. Even when we feel that distance, we need to choose to obey. That's what Joseph did, to follow God even in the distant places. And Joseph shows us how to do that. Obey God in the difficult times. Obey God in the distant places. And then finally, Joseph shows us how to obey God in daily life. The final dream that Joseph has is a calling back to Jerusalem, to go back home, if you will. So it says that after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. You know, God uses our life circumstances and our challenges to work through us and in us to accomplish his plans sometimes. And here you have this vicious ruler, Archelaus, and yet God was using him in a kind of a backward way. He was taking that circumstance and turning it around to use to fulfill prophecy. And here's Joseph, and he's in this foreign place, and you know he's just obeying God, and God uses Joseph to make this come true as well. Archelaus was a, a real tyrant, even worse than his father. His father was King Herod. And Archelaus began his reign by having 3,000 prominent citizens killed just so they couldn't challenge him. His reputation, well, that would cause any father or stepfather to think twice about going near him. He was a vicious man. And so instead of heading home, the Holy Family ends up residing in Nazareth, and that fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. 
No, it's the day-to-day obedience in our lives that builds up this bedrock of being a disciple in Christ. His most famous sermon, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, it's like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Hearing the word of God is good, right? No doubt. But obeying the word of God, putting it into practice, is the key to dealing with the storms of life. That's a challenge for most of us. We just don't think about it on a daily basis. We get sidetracked by life and work and family and finances and our own selfishness and anything else that gets in the way of choosing to obey God. When you were a kid, did you ever make a coupon book for your parents at Christmas or at some other occasion? You ever do that? I see some of you nodding your heads. You know, a special coupon book, you'd, you'd take the time to write down the things that you were going to do for your parents, right? Put them on little tickets they could give you and you would go and do that. Maybe it would say things like, uh, unload the dishwasher or clean the litter box. That's the one nobody wants to do. Take out the trash. Make dinner. Either way, most of these things, uh, if not all of these things on these coupons, were things that we would probably do for our parents anyway, as obedient children, but... You know, it seems like a really nice gift to tell mom and dad that you're willing to do those things. You know, and it's a, it's a blessing. What if this Christmas you make a coupon book for God? Take a little time to sit down and, and write out the different ways that you're going to seek to be obedient to him. That may feel a little bit silly, but it is a great way to make a fresh commitment to him. And it's a good way to remind yourself of what obedience to God looks like. Because we don't really articulate it very often. What does that look like? I mean, for real, in our daily life. We have a mystery man here named Joseph. We don't know a lot about him. But this righteous man who cared for Mary and helped raise the Messiah shows us what simple obedience looks like. God said, go. And Joe said, okay. He didn't have to be any great religious person. He didn't have to know everything was going to work out ahead of time. He didn't have to be seen and respected by other people. In fact, (laughs) This is almost the end of Joseph's story. You know, we get into chapter 2 of the book of Matthew, and Joseph just disappears. Poof, he's gone. He was so important, and then he wasn't. And we never hear about Joseph again. We wonder, what happened to this guy? What, What happened to him? Well, we don't know. But what we do know about this man is that he was obedient. And it would be great if the same thing could be said about us, if that was our reputation in history. They were obedient to Christ. Joseph kind of seems to epitomize what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1. And I like this version of this. This is from Peterson from the message. Listen to what it says. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, 
take your everyday life, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. I encourage you to turn that, at least the sentiment of that, at least the the principles of that into a prayer and make an offering of obedience to God. Do it today. I, I wouldn't wait. I would do it today. Or sometime when you get a little alone time, maybe this afternoon sometime, maybe tomorrow, but, but, but do it. Make an offering of obedience to God. In obedience, God, through a relationship with Jesus, brings us peace. And that's one of our great focuses in this time of the year, isn't it? Peace. More importantly than that, it's the presence of God, that peace that passes all understanding, the peace we can't even explain. It doesn't even make any sense except that that peace comes from God. As I said before, the pathway to peace is often through obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, allow us to be obedient to your calling, to be obedient to your instructions, just like your servant Joseph did. Lord, help us to obey in difficult times and in distant places and in our daily life. You've promised us in Psalms that you will watch over those who obey you. And Lord, we acknowledge that the pathway to joy goes through obedience. We love you and we want to serve you. Receive from us in these moments the gift of our obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.